Well, good morning and welcome again to St. Paul's. We're so glad that you're here. As you remain standing, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you send your spirit now to this place and that you drown us in it. To all who are listening, cover them in the spirit, that the words spoken and the words heard might be borne by you and reveal you to us. Show us the face of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. I wasn't raised a Christian, but when I was 22 years old, God spoke to me and it changed the direction of my life. I heard audible words. At least I think I did. It's been so long now, and I've told the story so many times that I don't have the memory anymore. I have the story of the memory, and that's the difference between memory and story. The stories that we shape from memory eventually replace the memories themselves. And so sometimes I doubt myself, like, did that really happen? Could that have really happened? Did I dream it? Have I embellished this in my mind? And when I think about it, yes, of course it's true. It's this otherwise inexplicable fork in the road of my life, but I doubt and I wonder all the same. This week in our journey through E100, the 100 essential passages of Scripture that show the arc of the Bible as a single story, which we're reading through as a congregation, this week we see the, the book of Judges. It tells the story of what happened to the Israelites after they came into the land that God had promised them. And it's the story of a people who have lost the memory of what God did for them, bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. Now, last week in our E100 readings, we saw the Israelites receive God's law. We heard Bishop Jenny preach about that last week. And then we saw them go through the wilderness to the promised land, arriving 40 years after they left Egypt. What's upcoming this week is what happens next, the time of the judges. Time of the judges. And the book of Judges is a significant repository of some of the Bible's most gruesome stories. Left-handed assassin, murder by tent peg, Samson bringing down the building around him, Gideon and his army of soldiers who drink like dogs. And then at the end, a concluding episode of breathtaking brutality. And in the midst of all this horror, in the midst of a world falling apart, we also get intimate moments of human tenderness and faithfulness, like the story of Ruth. But the passage we heard read this morning from Judges 2, and I invite you to follow along, Judges 2, beginning at the 11th verse, is something of a summary of the whole book of Judges. And Judges isn't a happy story. The story of Judges bears all the unhappiness of this life. It's temptation of trial. It's falling down and falling down some more and falling down once again. The book of Judges tells us, uh, shows us a downward spiral of a people who forget their God over and over and over, but it also is the story of a God who remembers His people over and over and over. That's what this is. That's what the whole of the Bible is, the story of what it looks like for God to be relentlessly faithful 
to God's relentlessly faithless creation. And in Judges, in the people's wandering from God, you can see the familiar contours of humanity's essential sin. If you've been following along with the E100 readings, the, the, there should be a harmony here. You should recognize the themes, right? How, how Adam and Eve forgot God and wandered away from God, even in the midst of the beauty of Eden. How the people who left slavery in Egypt through a highway that God opened up in the middle of the ocean set one foot on dry land and started complaining about how the food wasn't as good. How the people could hear the voice of God on the mountaintop and be trembling in fear and receive the law of God. And then five minutes later, they're bowing down to a golden cow that they made. What we see in the book of Judges, that is, is a historical depiction of the conflict that's always raging in every human heart. It's a picture, historically speaking, of our proclivity to stray further and further from the God who is our beginning and end. This is how we act. This is who we are. Let's look at our reading today and its specifics. As I said, it's a summary. It's a precy of judges. God led the people out of slavery into the wilderness. That happened before. And now God has brought the next generation out of the wilderness into the promised land where he's given them safety among their hostile neighbors. In our staff discussion about this passage, Ian observed that the Bible could have ended here because God's fulfilled his covenant with Abraham. Now, we heard about this covenant a few weeks back. God made a covenant with Abraham where he promised to make Abraham's family into a nation, and he promised to give that nation a place to live. And that's done. Like, as of Judges, that's done. But the Bible doesn't end here because human beings are human beings. And a new generation has risen up that doesn't remember what God has done for them, doesn't remember what God did in Egypt. They didn't see the wonders firsthand. They didn't hear His voice in their ears. They don't have a memory of God. They just have the stories about Him. They had the story and they had His law. And maybe they believed the story about Egypt and the wilderness and the law coming down from the mountain, but they didn't, like, believe it, believe it, you know? And if you don't believe, believe the story about God, you're sure as heck not going to keep God's law. So, no surprise, they turned to the gods of their neighboring people, the Baals, as we heard in the reading. The Israelites, they're supposed to be a priestly nation. They're supposed to be this nation who will reveal the God of the universe to all the other nations. That's, that's their special function. But they chase after these petty demigods instead. Because the thing about an idol is it might be powerless, but at least you can touch it. At least you can hold it. You can see it. And we are silly creatures. And that's how they fell. That's how they fell. They didn't keep their part of the covenant with God. Now, God doesn't give up on them because God's sworn by God's self that He will keep this covenant. And that means that this covenant is now indelibly tattooed into the flesh of the universe. But God can't make the people be faithful because you can't coerce faithfulness. And so begins this cycle of agony, of them falling away and crying out and God coming back to them. He raises up judges. Now, a judge in this context is not a person with a wig and a, and a robe and a ruff sitting on a bench. 
A judge is this combination military, political, religious leader who did listen to God's voice. And so when the judge led the people, things went right. And then the land had rest. But then the judge would die, and the memories would fade until only the stories remained, and the people's faith was tested, and the people's faith failed, and they fell away, and they cried to God. And the cycle began again, and again, and again. I said that Judges was a historical depiction of the human heart, and I think that's what it means to us, that we read this history and we interpret it spiritually. We understand what it means for us, spiritually speaking. Because I suspect that most of us can see something of ourselves, at least, in the description that we heard read. Because maybe you've had some kind of encounter with God, like maybe one moment in your life, in a long life, maybe just maybe one moment. Maybe you heard something, or you saw something, or maybe it was just a feeling, and maybe it felt like you'd stuck your finger into the electric socket at the heart of existence. Or maybe it was just a calm, quiet certainty that God was real. But then the memory faded because that's what memories do. And you fell away because that's what people do. We fall. We fall away from God. We're not so different than the people in Judges, not really. They forgot God and they fell. And when they got back up, they fell even harder than before. And maybe you know what that feels like. Maybe you know what it feels like to have something really good right in your hands, and then it just like slips through your fingers, like where'd it go? The diet that ends with a binge, the sobriety that ends with a bender, the restored relationship that ends with a blowout fight. And I wonder where you've fallen, because we've all fallen. And if we're no different than those people and judges, what hope do we have, really? By all rights, the Bible should have ended at Judges, and it would have, could have, if people weren't people. But people are people, and so they didn't keep the covenant. And this is a story about the people's faithlessness, but even more so, it's a story about God's faithfulness. The story of everything is a story of God's faithfulness, and in the end, that's our hope. That's our hope, just like the hapless, tragic people who stumble through the pages of Judges. Because the Bible doesn't end at Judges, the story continues a thousand years and more, when in the fullness of time, God takes on flesh, God becomes a human person in Jesus Christ. And Jesus alone, among all the people who have ever lived, Jesus was perfectly faithful to God the Father. Jesus kept humanity's side of the covenant with God. I want you to take a step back. See the full scope of this. Understand what this means for you. God made a covenant with Abraham at the beginning of recorded history. We heard about this a few weeks back. That Abraham's seed would bless the whole world, and Abraham's children, they were supposed to be faithful to God. They would be God's people. And God swore he would keep his covenant, but a covenant is like the tango, it takes two. And Abraham's children didn't keep their side of the deal. So in time, what God did was, God, God's self becomes a person, 
God becomes Abraham's descendant to do the very thing that Abraham's children couldn't do. The ultimate faithfulness of the God of Abraham to the covenant that he makes is that he keeps both sides of it, God's side and humanity's side. It's like if you made a financial deal with someone and they couldn't pay up and your response to that was to have them adopt you so that you could pay the family's debt. That's where the story of falling and rising goes. It goes to Jesus. Jesus who does for all humanity what we can't do for ourselves. It's this cosmic embrace of faithful, unending, limitless love. God the Father and God the Son who becomes man, gathering all of creation, all of time, back to God through God the Holy Spirit. And there is nothing and no one that is excluded from that reach. And here's why this matters, if it's not clear. What this means is that in the end, everything is grace. It's all grace. Grace meaning what God does for us, not what we can do for ourselves. Grace meaning how good God is, not how good we can make ourselves be. Grace meaning how faithful God is, not how faithless we might be. So do you have doubts? Do you have questions? Do you stumble? Do you worry that your faith isn't strong enough? That your faith isn't good enough? Nobody's faith is good enough. Nobody's faith will ever be good enough or strong enough. We're saved, meaning that we come to God by grace, through faith, by grace. But it's grace that does the work. God's grace is strong. In Jesus, God has done the work. No matter how strong or not your faith is, it's the strength of the grace that matters. So when you fall like the people and judges, and that's a win, not an if. When you fall, you don't reach for your bootstraps. You don't dig down deep for that extra bit of grit. Because your own strength isn't how you rise. You will never be strong enough. So when you fall away from God in your life, with your loved ones, in that job, in that illness, with your struggles, when you fall, you look to Jesus because he died and rose for you. And it is his rising that will lift you up. I just said this isn't about your own strength, and that's true, but paradoxically looking to Jesus takes effort. It's actually so hard. That's so hard to do because everything in us, the way we live the rest of our lives is to rely on our own strength to solve our problems. Everything in us wants to do that. Even though our own strength will always fail us in the end. Always. No matter how strong you are, there's going to come a day where you fall down and you can't get back up again. That's coming for all of us. You can get by on your own strength for a while but at the end, all we've got, all our hope, is on what God has done for us. 
When you grow up near the ocean, the Great Lakes, you learn about rip currents, or you should. A rip current is a fast current that develops between breaking waves. Water comes in, it needs some place to go, and there's a channel. It forms a current that goes straight out into the open water. And you can be swimming near shore and get caught in one, and then all of a sudden you're way out to sea before you know it. And a mistake that swimmers make is to panic, and they try and swim back to shore. But then they're caught in this current, this rip current that's got hold of them, and nobody's stronger than a rip current. Because a rip current doesn't get tired, and that's how people drown, fighting against something they can't see and can never beat until they've got nothing left. That's what it's like to try and fight our way to God through our own human nature, this sinful nature that pulls us out into the deep and drags us down. Nobody's strong enough. The way you escape a rip current is this. You swim out of it. Not against it, out of it. You get out of the current. You swim sideways. Not back to shore like you want, but parallel to shore. Swim sideways out of the current that's trying to kill you into the still waters where you can be rescued. And it takes effort to remember to do the counterintuitive thing, but spiritually speaking, that's what we need to do. Instead of fighting directly, we turn and swim sideways, turn to the place of our rescue, which is grace, which is God's faithfulness. So what's this mean practically speaking? Well, it's about cultivating a habit of calling on God. Not just for the big things in life, you know, making the team or getting into university or getting that job or beating that illness. No, calling upon God in the thousands of small movements that make up a day. How minute by minute, breath by breath, our hearts fall away from God. That's, that's what they do. Like the people in Judges, we, we forget. We forget what God has done for us. We've, we've just got the story. We don't have the memory. We forget that God is real and our hearts fall away. Bishop Jenny preached a, a few weeks ago about how every time, every time we fall into sin, it's because we've forgotten that fundamental truth of who God is. And this happens to us throughout the day. Our hearts fall away from God and our anger and our lust, our laziness and our greed, our pride and our vanity. Because the story of Judges is just a historical depiction of what's happening in here. So when we fall, swim sideways by calling out to the one who has proven himself faithful. You pray, perhaps, the prayer of a single breath that arrow shot to heaven, Jesus, have mercy on me. Oh, God, help me and hurry. Because you know he's true. And the second thing, practically speaking, is that you hold on tight to those places in life where God shows up. Because we're among peoples with competing gods, and there is no shortage of shiny, glittering gods out there that will captivate your attention, and they will lead you to forget the reality of the God who has redeemed you, if you let them. So you've got to hold tight to those places in life where God shows up, where you remember what God has done and who God is, where you remember that God's not a story, 
We're talking about him like he's waiting out in the atrium. God, God is here. God is real and God is alive and God is with us. God is a living presence. And so you hold on tight to those moments like the sacrament of the Eucharist. You're going to hear in the rite of the Eucharist the familiar language. It's telling the story of God, yeah, but it's also recalling the memory of God. And then more than the memory, it's the reality, the real presence of God. The reality of God is here. In reading the living word of the Scriptures, in prayer by yourself or with others, in serving other people made in God's image just like you. When I was 22, God spoke to me. At least I think he did. But in the end, it actually doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether I had my special moment with God. Because even if God never spoke a word to me, Jesus still kept the faith that I cannot keep. Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And what Jesus did, this is my only boast, my only hope in life or death. And though we fall, we fall, we fall, He is risen. Amen.